0: Today, for a moment, um, I want to call us to really being contributors to our mission and being a direct contributor. No, we can be directly or indirectly involved in so many things, but I want to call us today to be a real direct contributor to this next season of West Side's life, this next journey for us. Uh, By the way, John, I don't know if I hear myself quite a lot up here. I don't know if the monitors are on or something's on, Um, or maybe I'm just really loud. I can tend to be loud anyways, but... um, but I want to call us to something particular today, really to a direct contribution to our next season. And what I'm talking about is really our, this new location that we've been talking about for a while and our vision for it and, and what's coming up next. Uh, I think I want to just take a moment today as, as we've been walking through so many pieces of this and having conversations really the last 18 months, uh, starting already in some of the things involved here. It's been in the works for a while. And as we've discerned together through prayer and leadership teams and our, our congregational conversations that we've had over the last 18 months, uh, signing the lease a couple of months ago and seeing that through, and these base renovations, you know, underway. And if you're following some of our social media, you see some of those pictures. And it's a beautiful kind of process to be on, and stuff is happening. But I want to just say today, for this moment, this kind of as we, we, we kind of change gears really into this next season, is we need to make sure we do this well. And we need to make sure that we, we come, we bring this to completion. And it's so important that we, we do this well and we bring this to completion. So I thought today, there's probably still some people who have no clue that we're moving to a new location. I've been told many times, we can say things six times and maybe the seventh time somebody gets it or hears it or maybe the 10th time somebody gets it or hears it. So let me just recap the story. We have uh, leased 13,000 square feet, just about 400 meters from here at the corner of Brunswick and Tecumseh. So we signed the lease this year and um, we, it's, it's a full lease, okay? So it's a full 20- 24-7 lease, which is pretty cool when you think about what that means. What that means for us is we'll be entering into a space that's about 20% or more uh, bigger than what we use here on a Sunday morning. So 20, 20, 25% more than we currently use on Sundays. And I was thinking of accessibility because we use this space four hours a week. So we're going to have... Uh, 21 times more accessibility in this other space. You know, kind of four four hours is about one block in a day, and if you have about three blocks in your day, 21 times. And I thought about that as we consider this, that for less than double what we currently pay for our our lease and rental and location uh, for the last couple of years, we get to use a space 21 times with more more accessibility, 20% more space, uh, more space for kids. Uh, <laughs> and uh and, and even during the week, like, just a whole bunch more space. And I think about that, and, and maybe here are the plans when you look at it. It's kind of fun just to see it that way. Maybe you can go see some of the next kind of, uh, kind of, you know, anticipations of what maybe our lobby might look like or where we're going to be meeting uh, for gatherings as well. And so we're, we're excited to see this happen. And uh, a friend of mine came down uh, to Montreal uh, just a couple of weeks ago, and I, I toured him around the space. He works with our church planting group that we help and support. And I want to just, like, he was so excited in the space... And I wanted just you to see his excitement. So if you guys can just put that on. It is major exciting to be able to walk through this thing and to envision it in just a few months to have you worshiping here. And it's a cool story for Canada. It's especially a cool story for Quebec, for Montreal, to have a vibrant church community that is finally moving out of portable church and into permanent church. So God bless you guys. We've been praying for you. We continue to pray for you. Love Dave and Franca and the leadership that they've given over the years. And uh, we are so excited to see how many people are going to come to know Jesus because you've got a permanent home. So this is exciting. That was Mark Birch. He, he's tracked our story from day one. I met him 15 years ago at a conference in Toronto when we had breakfast for the first time. And uh, he's been you know, praying for us, supporting us as a church community. And people outside of Quebec, in Quebec and outside are, are excited to see churches that started even years ago grow in sustainability and impact. And I wanted you to hear that story because it, it gives us a glimpse of, of what people's excitement can get around this. But here's the deal. The heart of this really is not even a building, it's mission. Hearing Cabby's story this morning and her journey is the heart of this. Uh, last week, hearing Andrew and Amy share their story of, of longing for a spiritual family to grow spiritually in and seeing that come to fruit in our church community A couple of months ago, seeing a handful of people get baptized and knowing their journey personally of not knowing the Lord and coming to know the Lord and, and getting closer to him and making this step of really calling Jesus Lord right in our church community, that's the heart of our mission a couple of weeks ago, our tax clinic serving 50 or 60 people in our neighborhood and community that, that don't have the funds at time to make some of these steps. And we're able to just do their taxes for a day and have 10 or so volunteers from Westside bring that together and make that happen. Um, we're excited because that's the heart of it. It's really beyond just a building. But if you think about it, over the last couple of years, a lot of our energy has been spent on setting up space, tearing down space, looking for space, looking for alternate space, uh, using space that it wasn't designed for. I don't know if you can recollect this. I just have images of, of crockpots and slow cookers plugged into different outlets because we just have to figure out how to do things. you know. And I've seen people try and wash a 60 or 80 cup coffee pot in a really small sink in a bathroom, in an office bathroom, and, and fun little things like that right? A couple of weeks ago, our storage unit kind of collapsed in the back, and we can't just leave it like that or haul things into cars. And so someone, I think Sean brought his drill, someone called him, and someone set that up and fixed it all up. And these are the fun stories that have shaped our identity as a church over the last 15 years. And we don't want to stop necessarily those kind of stories, because there's going to be other stories and other challenges, but these are part of the growing pains we've had. And it's been fun, and it's really, we do that because it's been part of our mission, But I'm excited because there's gonna be an energy shift, a shift of energy um, away from necessarily looking for space or finding space, or setting up space in significant ways to other things. And we we shared some of these things at our vision briefings, and I wanted to just share some with you. Some of the opportunities right before us as we move forward in this next season is, I mean, I'm excited to cultivate deeper community where we can linger a little bit longer, or set up environments for us as as a church to grow relationally, where we can spend energy equipping our existing and new ministries, where we can invest in kids and youth ministry, and the next generation of 20 and 30 year olds, and, and the expansion of Alpha, which Cabby was a part of, like that was part of her spiritual discovery. And we want to see Alpha grow and have more elbow room um, to reach more people, um, where we can host events and workshops. One thing I get excited about is the possibility to just have a gathering that's not necessarily on a Sunday morning, because you probably have five friends that would never show up on a Sunday because they either have hockey, or they're at Costco, or they're, I don't know, in a swimming class, or something like that, right? And so, the possibility of just, of just opening up an environment that welcomes it welcomes people where Sunday morning is like, like, a, like part of like a, a cultural past where everyone was free. Um, nonprofits and businesses utilizing our space and increased opportunities with local nonprofits. And I want to share a little story about this because a few weeks ago, or maybe a couple of months ago, Daria, who's part of the West Island Network, and uh, we work together with other churches, she, she invited me to a meeting at the YMCA. And uh, the, the community program director of the Y set up this meeting with a whole bunch of other, they meet uh, quarterly, and uh, they work on community initiatives. And so Daria invited me to come, I went and sat down there, and uh, I was there a little bit early, And I, so I met the director, and we started talking about our new space that was coming, I think Daria started that conversation, and she, this lady just kind of comes across the table, she grabs my arm, and she says, listen, before anybody needs space, I want to talk to you first. <laughs> and she's like, we have programs here, and we, we, we're, we're anticipating the need um, for other space beyond the building of the YMCA. And as she says that, another community leader across the room says, hey, uh, I need a space about one day a week. Can we talk about this? And um, so I sat down there, and, and I left that meeting, and I bumped into the, the director of the whole YMCA, and uh, she, start, she asked me what's going on and why I was there. I've met her before, and she, she just started getting excited right in front of me. She's like, this is amazing. When this is all done, I would love to come see this space. And she said, listen, David, we have so many people who, who look for space in our community, and we can't always facilitate that. And so if there's part of your space that can help other groups, um, we would love to be a referral for that. And I, 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 I sat there that morning, and just in a moment I thought, there's so much more opportunity here to rub shoulders with people in our community than we can even imagine because you know and I know that there's so many people who will never walk into a church gathering on a Sunday morning but if we rub shoulders with them in their initiative or when they're using our space or maybe we're partnering with them in some way they get to have a small glimpse of God's kingdom that will Wet their appetite for what the Lord really has in store for them. So I get excited about those kind of things, and that's why it makes me really believe this. And I said this at our vision briefings, that this next step for us is way bigger than a location and way bigger than just raising money and way bigger than extra space. It's really a meeting point of hope. It's really a meeting point of hope. But here's the question, is how do we really turn this vision into reality? Because I know, I talk with many of you and there's excitement or, uh, you know, so many times people ask, when could we use this? Can we use that? When's the time? I'd love to try this. And we're just not there yet. And we're like, how do we turn this vision into reality? And so there's excitement. But then there's like, let's complete this really well. And it reminds me of the story we've been tracking the last couple of weeks with Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a man, as you know if you' were with us, the last week, if not, I encourage you to, to listen to our podcast. We've been talking about vision, how to turn vision into reality. And Nehemiah's story in the fifth century is a beautiful picture of how God used someone um, and, and the people of Israel to really move into a new era. And, and Nehemiah noticed he was broken in his heart because of the brokenness of the walls of Jerusalem and the brokenness of his people. That sparked a vision in him. And that vision needed to move to some kind of strategy and he moved to prayer. So the vision was sparked to this this painful observance of his people in the walls and it started getting developed in prayer. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, but it started to progress as they united together and that famous phrase in chapter two, let us together build this wall. We talked about that the last couple of weeks and we, we saw Nehemiah's story of a story of how vision becomes reality, how someone goes from here To there, and yet there's one more key principle in this story. If you if you read through it, and we're not reading every verse, that is so essential to move from here to there. And it's in Nehemiah's journey. It's in this story in Nehemiah, and the principle is sacrifice. They the vision was sparked. They engaged prayer. They united together. But there's this part of the story, and we'll get into it in a moment. That for the vision to turn into reality, there was a moment of sacrifice. Now, we kind of know what sacrifice is. Uh, here's a light version of it. Last night, our, um, Frank and my daughter wanted to watch a movie, and we often are thinking, like, what are we going to watch? And, and, and I have opinions, and Franka has opinions, and Julia has opinions. Andrew was working, so he didn't have an opinion. And um, so, you know, so there's, this, there's this, one, this one kind of choice that comes up. And we're like, you know what, yeah, you, you sacrifice to do stuff for your kids, right? When you want to just, you're like, I'll do anything just to sit with them and hang out with them. So I'm like, I'll watch a bad movie for you. And um, so so we said, yeah, if you, if you want to watch this and we're, we're cool, let's do this. So we start watching this, and it was more than a bad movie. It was like, you know, there's a, a, a movies, B movies. I think this was a D movie. And it was like just the worst kind of acting that I thought, I am suffering and sacrificing through this. And, and 50 minutes in, I should have been 15 minutes in, but 50 minutes in, I'm like, I can't take this, guys. I love you, and you're my family, but I'm not going to finish this movie. I just got to leave the room. I've sacrificed enough. And uh, I think by the end of it, Julia and, and Franca both realized they also sacrificed to finish watching the movie. And, but we, we understand that, right? When you value something... When you care about something, when you know that you, that you, you know, for us, it's when we value relationship. Yeah, you'll sit through a bad movie. That's not really a big sacrifice. But you know that when you really value something and you have a vision for something from getting from here to there will often require that step of sacrifice. And this vision that Nehemiah had was not easy was not easy. He had to get from the city of Susa to Jerusalem. He needed time off. He needed resources. He needed passage. He needed the people to work together. He needed so many things. And to actually complete the wall was not an easy task. It was challenging. It required time and energy and resources. It required sacrifice. In fact, it required their their initial sacrifice, and it even required sacrifice as they hit obstacles along the way. There's this moment, as as if you would read the story in chapter 5 and 6 of Nehemiah, where you start to realize the people are actually uh, inheriting an economic difficulty to finish this wall. Because there's career workers, right? Whether they're jewelers or steel workers or, uh, or, or bakers, they put their jobs on hold to go work on this wall. And the people who own farms and lands, they didn't take care of their sheep for a a couple of weeks or their grain for a couple of weeks to go work on this wall. And so it became an economic sacrifice for the people that Nehemiah is leading and working with to actually complete this wall. So many stopped their work, their career, their farms, just to do this. And then... That was, that, was an, that was an intentional sacrifice on the people's part. But here's what happened next. That even pushed their sacrifice, they hit obstacles. There was people in their community that started to take advantage of them. And here, here's a little glimpse of this in chapter 5. We'll just read a little bit of it. Here's what they tell Nehemiah. We and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we're mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during this famine. You can keep going. We have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards, and although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. They really meant to become servants to other people. We are powerless because our fields and our vineyards are Belong to others. So here's this moment where their fellow Jews, some of the people who are working now are like, I don't, I got to somehow mortgage something so I can get some food. And their fellow Jews are now charging them interest, which was against the Torah, which was against the law. And the people who had grain were overcharging those who did, who needed food. So not only did they make the sacrifice, they got hit with a larger sacrifice. And Nehemiah addresses this quickly, and he calls them, these people who were doing this, back into the value of their, of their community, and they, they, complete, they repent, they turn around, they say, we will stop doing this. And they made a promise. So, so Nehemiah brought them all together, and he fixed that. But I want to point out Nehemiah's personal sacrifice. It's interesting because he's this, this, uh, he works for the Persian Empire. He's an employee of the empire. He works for the king. And the king makes him governor over this region. He's been the governor for about 12 years over this region where Jerusalem is a part of. Now he would have the right in any moment of his job to use the people's resources for his living. For his purposes, for his food, for his housing. You know, think of a diplomat, think of an ambassador, think of somebody working for Canada in another part of the country. They have an expense account, they, they eat where they want, they, they live on the, on the expense of Canada, whatever. So he has this right. And he has this right to charge his expenses. I want you to see what Nehemiah does because he has a burden for the vision. He says, moreover, from the 20th year, King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, until this, his 32nd year, 12 years, Neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lorded over the people. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. All my men were assembled there for work. We did not acquire any land. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations. And in spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on these people. So here's Nehemiah, probably had a salary, probably had disposable income, working for the empire, but he had capacity to use any resources he wanted. And he says here in this moment, I saw the need. I saw the need of the people. I saw the vision. And I did not take what I was allowed to take So instead of using his position to fund his time in Jerusalem even better, he frees up his resources to benefit the people to accomplish the vision. And I love this part of this story because it shows me that as the vision is getting closer, as the moment to really bring this to a close uh, happens, both Nehemiah and the people, they sacrifice what's needed to get this vision accomplished. Just a few things that come out to me. One, they recognize, first of all, it will take our community to make this happen the people and Nehemiah. They recognize something else. One commentator says that it's like Nehemiah was thinking, God is my real employer. Sure, I work for the Persian Empire, God's my real employer. And I'm assuming some of those people who had you know, their regular work and took days off to go work on the wall or people who had farms and took some time off to stop cultivating for a bit and go work on the wall, they recognized God is my employer. He's my source. He's my source of everything. And then they freed up their resources for the sake of others and the vision. And verse 16 is so great because it tells us this. So the wall was completed in 52 days. The wall was completed in 52 days. They reached their goal. And they say, just in the next verse, it says this. He's talking about the enemies that were speaking against them. And he says, they will see what has happened because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. There was this moment where, they, one, they realized the vision. It's completed, and they recognized we had our part, but we could not have done it without God's help. And I love this combined posture that they have. They're all in, they're working towards this, they're praying, they're united, they make the sacrifices necessary, and they, yet they recognize that God has been part of this all along and God has helped them. I think it's so huge. So I think about us. We have this vision before us. We have this vision right before us towards this new location, and as I said, it's, it's bigger than a location. But right now in this season, it's a focused time for us, right? We can't think about ten things or four things. We just got to think about one or two things, and this is the main thing. And here's my question to you and to me is, do we want to turn this vision into a reality? Do we want to um, move this dream and the work involved into completion, into fulfillment, because we have this challenge. I said, I said this many times in the past. The challenge is high, but the opportunity is even higher. So we have this challenge to achieve this, to move forward. And the challenge is high. And so for us, uh, we want to really bring this to a completion. So I, we rarely have talked about kind of the financial piece of this, even in the last few weeks. Uh, we talk about it. We've talked about it in our vision briefings. And I want to just share with you, just bluntly, this is our challenge before us, this 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 great opportunity that God has before us and the challenge as well to do this. And so the challenge is mainly financial because I don't think anybody is going to kind of go in there and start, you know, breaking the concrete with... Um, you know, with uh, with their bare hands and stuff like that. Some of that stuff has to be taken care of some professionals. But we have this challenge, and the challenge is this, that our larger goal, December 2019, like 18 months from now, our large goal totally is, is $380,000. Um, but our, our immediate goal, June 3rd, uh, for June third this year is two hundred ninety-five thousand dollars. Now it's not an extra three eighty; it's two ninety-five plus eighty-five. That equals three eighty for our larger goal over the next eighteen months. But for us to re- to really get in this building, for us to really renovate this well, for us to really put the accessories and equipment that we need for this, we need to move towards this goal, this $295,000 goal. And that about 65% of that is renovation costs, and about 35% of that is accessories, equipment, chairs, and all that kind of stuff. And here's our hope, that as we reach this goal, this $295,000 goal, and move towards this, that this summer we would be in this space and using it and, and, and getting a feel for it and really making it ours and that then this fall we invite the whole neighborhood, community, friends, family, the region that we're really planted and rooted in this space. But we need to kind of make this step forward. We need to move forward in this way. And I, I can't think of it in any other way but it really being a sacrifice. I can't, you know, I can't imagine painting it in any other way than it being really a sacrifice to move forward in that way. It's a joyful sacrifice. It's an exciting sacrifice. It's an exciting opportunity, but it's still a sacrifice. And it's going to take this deliberate discernment and decision on our part. But let me ask you, what does that mean for you? We talked last week how vision turning into reality is, is, is a community thing. It's all of us. So all of us means how we each individually connect to this. So what does that mean for you? How is God leading you to sacrifice towards this? How will, you, how will you contribute to this goal? And that's what we're calling each other to. There's different ways that you can do that. And uh, some people have shared some incredible stories of how uh, they have been trying to kind of be creative and how to put some money aside. And, and some in simple ways, of, you know, like some suggestions came up that, hey, you know, if you spend like, you know, 12 bucks a week on, on Starbucks and you don't. You know, have that for like a whole year. That's you know, that's like a good chunk of money that you can kind of just say, "Hey, I'm going to forfeit that." Or if there's like a renovation you're planning, and you know, it's really you can hack it for another year or two. Maybe there's ways to do that. And I don't know. There's different things that we can do. I want to tell you about one story uh, in our church community. And last December, I shared personally when we, we started to launch this that I felt the Lord leading me to step out, and uh, my wife and I to step out in faith and give first. And I shared that on a Sunday, and I, I fulfilled that um, conviction in my heart last December. And somebody texted me that week from our church community and said, Hey, Dave, I heard you talk on Sunday. As you were sharing that, I immediately felt in my heart that I want to go first as well. And, um, and I feel like my, my wife and I... And here's what he, what he wrote in the text. And these words just jumped out of me. He says, We are making preparations this week so we can give on Sunday. I love that phrase. We are making preparations this week. so we, I don't know what that meant for them. I don't know where they found the funds. I don't know what they did to do that. But something spoke to his heart. And he and his wife said, we're making preparations this week so we can give on Sunday. And I thought, that was amazing that, that, that they felt that leading to do that. Now, a little bit of context for a family like this that maybe will make it easier for them or harder for them, depending. One, they're consistent givers, consistent tithers. So I know this person that when they tell me I'm making preparations, they're giving something beyond what they normally give. So I know it's a sacrifice. I know that when he he shared that to me, I I know them, and I know that they're not rich and don't have this huge financial capacity. But I know that they're committed and consistent, and when the Lord speaks to them, they act. So when I heard that story, I I was really touched by it. But I wasn't super surprised because I know them. I wasn't shocked. I just thought, I know, I know you guys, and I figured maybe that that's something that you would consider. It didn't shock me, but here's what surprised me. A few weeks later, we were talking maybe a month later, and I just um, asked this person. I said, Hey, how was your week this week? He's like, Okay. And um, I said, What's going on? And I asked them about their car for some reason, and they said, Oh, I, we we sold our second car. And I said, oh, okay, why did why, you sell your second car? He says, oh, we, we, there's some family priorities we have coming up, and we just realized, like, you know what, we really don't need it, so I sold the car so I could address some family needs. We didn't mention that gift, and I'm not tying it to that gift, but I recognized that as the Lord led them in, in a month ago to give, and then family needs came up a month later, they made arrangements in their life to somehow meet those needs, that's what surprised me. I thought, wow, that, that, that they're committed in such a way t- to trust God that I can give this money away and trust God for whatever needs might come up. That blew me away. And what surprised me, again, and is that about two months later, they felt the Lord to give a second time. And I thought, this is, that to me was an example of sacrifice. That to me was an example of listening to the Lord and trusting God. That when God gives us that nudge to do that, that we can trust him moving forward. Sometimes it means decisions, alternate decisions, but we can trust him moving forward. And I thought that's an example of sacrificial giving. So how will God provide the funds? I believe he's going to provide the funds through all of us in some way. And what we're not promoting is... is, um, equal gifts. What we're not saying is everybody should give $1,000 or $3,000. What we're promoting is really sacrificial giving together. And here are two questions I want you to ask yourself. Um, it's before that, but two questions I want to ask yourself is when you're, pro- when you're processing this, two questions. What's my capacity and what's my, and what's my sacrifice? We did this gift profile and you can find it on the flyer and it was really helpful in our, in our vision briefings. Um. We just, some people came together and said, and asked the question, how can we actually reach this goal? And so they did this kind of gift profile, like from like $0 to like $30,000. Um, and obviously, there's a lot of people in the zero to 1,000 and 1,000 to 2,000. And then there's up, you know, it grows that way. And there's very few people kind of on the top that way, just depending capacity. But we asked that question, and it was helpful to people. And what I realized is we have to ask these two questions as we're asking the Lord, what's my goal? What's my response here? First is, What's my capacity? What has God done in my life? What kind of financial capacity has He given to me? And then, secondly, which is more important as you're discerning this, is how has God called me to sacrifice? Because sometimes those two meet, and sometimes those two don't meet. Sometimes God leads us to sacrifice beyond our capacity. Sometimes God reminds us hey, this is your capacity. You could really do this. And the beauty of that is we listen to the Lord. And there's no reason to judge one another or compare with one another. But we just trust God as he leads us and he guides us. And th- this, God has shown us this already. There's been gifts from $32, or actually from $10 to close to $20,000. And everything in between. So I have recognized through that spectrum that there is a variety of capacity in our church community. And people are listening to God. God is already at work. And they're asking the Lord, what's my gift? what's my sacrifice going to be? So let me ask you, does God really work that way? Can God actually lead us and guide us? Can he actually provide in that way? Can he lead people to do that? And, and let me share one more story, and I'm going to ask the team to come up in a moment to get ready. A um, few months ago, I was chatting with a family in our church. They were struggling financially, and they've been in a season of reworking their finances and their income and their job, and um, they hit this wall, one day and it was it was uh it wasn't a huge amount but it was an, a significant for them in that season now a little context with them they're working super hard on their budget they are working really hard at raising their income and they still uh, are doing their best to tithe on whatever income they make but they hit this wall and they're like they were praying about it lord how are we going to kind of kind of overcome this and uh a day later, someone from within our church community called them and said, hey, I just I, I felt the Lord lead me to send you a gift and so I'm doing that. I don't know if they sent it electronically or what. So they received this gift electronically and they were, were stuck and it was this $1,000 gift that met this $1,000 obstacle and it's not tax deductible. Nobody else knows about it and it was beautiful. It reminded me when we ask, does the Lord have a way to provide for things? Yes, the Lord has a way to provide for things. Does the Lord has a way, has a way to work in our hearts and our lives? Yes, he does. And this is exactly what they needed to overcome that. So here's, here's my question as we, we wrap this up. Do, we, do I wonder if we can reach this vision? Do I wonder if we can resource this vision? Do I, do I wonder if God will prompt us, all of us, in a variety of ways, according to our gifts, our capacity, our calling to sacrifice? Can we complete this project? Can, can we grow our capacity for community and mission? Is this possible? And I'm, I resolutely say, yes, it's possible. When I see how God has already been working, when I read the scriptures, when I hear these stories of of sacrifice, when I hear these stories of promptings and gifts, I recognize God is already doing something. God is already at work. So here's, here's my call to you today as we close. For June 3rd, um, we're making that a day. We're calling it Commitment Sunday. And we felt as a church, we wanted to be sensitive to the needs in our church. Maybe people need time to make those kind of preparations. But we're believing for that day, June 1st, that we will raise these funds together. And we're asking you to pray and discern and ask the Lord. So June 3rd is that really big commitment day. And whether you give um, you know, cash or check, whether you give digitally, uh, however you have to work that out, we want everyone to be there that day because together as a church community, we want to say, Lord, we're, just, we're surrendering all to you. We're surrendering little amounts and big amounts. We're also surrendering ourselves. Maybe there's some people who it's just impossible for them to do that, but as a church community, we're still moving forward and saying, we're going to surrender ourselves to you. And so June 3rd is a really, really big day for us. We want to celebrate and commit and move together as a church community in giving that day for this cause. And here's four things I want you to do between now and then. Really simple. Pray so we align our hearts with God's heart. Pray so we align our hearts with God's heart. Listen. Be present and attentive to what the Lord is doing in you, to what the Lord is doing in our church community. Then prepare. Prepare. Ask God to help you discern the what and how of your commitment. Like that text. How will you prepare for that? And then lastly, respond with a sacrificial contribution. And Regardless of the outcome, if we do that and honestly, sincerely come before the Lord and respond, the Lord is glorified. The Lord is glorified. And we move forward in his mission. And so I'm going to invite you to do that, to take those flyers, to think about those four things, to be praying and preparing as the Lord leads you. Now, I know there's some people in our gathering today, you maybe came for the first time, you're like, oh my gosh, do you always mention $300,000 in your gathering? (laughs) And I'm like, no, no, no. This is like really, really rare. And so if you're, a gift, if you're a guest here today, we're doing this for people like you. We're doing this for our community. We're, we're moving forward. So today and our church is a gift to you. I'm not, as, as, a, as a first-time guest or, or if you're a spiritual seeker, I'm not asking you to do this. But as our church family and those committed to Christ, I'm asking you to, to, to consider and move and pray here together. It's so vital that we do that. And as we close, I want to read John 12, 24. You guys can maybe start as we we do that. Listen to the words of Jesus. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Here's Jesus saying this as he approaches his death, actually. And he's telling this, and he's writing this in John 12. Unless a kernel falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Now he's speaking about his death. He's not speaking about money. I'm, I'm not theologically crazy. But the principle of a sacrificial gift, of a sacrificial life, of a life that literally, in a sense, dies to itself for something greater, there's a multiplying factor. Now again, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I will never promise you that when you give, God's going to, give you 10 times as much or, you know, if you give $1,000, God's not going to give you a $50,000 Mercedes. I'm sorry. You can, like, find maybe some preacher online to tell you that, but I won't promise you that today. But I can promise you that a, a sacrificial life given for God's mission will produce new growth, will produce something so beautiful as we together as a church community, individually and together, in a sense, sacrificially give of ourselves for his mission, for his purposes, for his kingdom. So as your seed and my seed fall to the ground, as our gifts sacrificially are given, I believe we will see something new grow. Amen? Amen? Let's stand. Let's stand. And, and we just got a couple more minutes this morning. The team is going to uh, lead us in a song, and, and I'm going to invite us to really take, take the bread and wine together as we close today. Um, and it's so, it's so beautiful. We, you know, we just landed on the first Sunday of the month. That's when we share bread and wine. It, just, it reminds us of Jesus' sacrifice for us. Isn't that amazing? When Jesus said those words, he was talking about himself. That he literally would die. Like a seed dies and falls to the ground. And his death produced resurrection and his death produced life and his death produced an explosive church in the first century and his death has produced life and life upon life for thousands and millions of people. They've come to know him. And so as we celebrate the wine and bread today, we celebrate Jesus' sacrificial gift for you, for me, for the world. Let's pray and then I'm going to invite you to take these elements. Lord, thank you for these stories that came across my phone and my conversations and in our church community, God, that remind us that you are at work. That remind us of what it means to think about your mission and to sacrifice. Lord, I'm so um, encouraged by both types of stories. The stories of the sacrificial gifts, but also the stories of the sacrificial gifts received. What a blessing. And Lord, that just tells us, whether we are the giver or we are the receiver, ultimately we can trust you with all things. God, we can trust you with all things. And Lord, as we step out in faith and as we as a church community move out in this season as, and as, as, as all of us, God, just commit to praying and listening and preparing... And responding, God, Lord, I ask that you lead us by your Holy Spirit. God, may none of us make decisions in comparison with each other. May none of us make decisions based even on our past or our future. Lord, may we listen to your voice. May we see the need before us. May we respond. And may we trust you, God, for the results and the outcome. God, as we come and take these elements right now, and as we hold the bread in our hand and the, the wine in the cup, Lord, we are reminded of your incredible sacrifice for us. Let us be rooted in that truth, in that action for us right now. In Jesus' name, amen.